Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Amen. We're getting ready for our annual Easter offering. And as we have looked at the past couple of weeks, um, that goes uh, to support church planting. Much of uh, the North American Mission Board's SIN network funding comes through this annual Easter offering. And so um, remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, what we've said over the past few weeks. Do not downplay your role in this. Don't think that anything that you give as we prepare for this offering is too small or it's insignificant or it can't be used by God through incredible means to advance the kingdom. And so um, Easter Sunday, we'll be taking up this Easter offering. I would encourage you to also to be in prayer um, for a a meeting that's going to be happening tomorrow and Tuesday in Dallas, Georgia. Uh, When we planted Christ the King three years ago, prior to our planting, we were a part of an assessment process with the North American Mission Board um, and SIN Network. Uh, In order for us to kind of be here where we are now, these individuals, played a a pivotal role in in that happening. Tomorrow, there's going to be a a group of prospective planters meeting in Dallas um, to go through their own assessment process. I hope to be there either tomorrow or Tuesday to to, to meet our new Sin City missionary um, who's kind of leading and casting vision in Atlanta for church planting and some of the planters that are uh, where we were just a few years ago. And so uh, so be in prayer for those guys. Be in prayer for their families. It's a huge work. We love this work. We're committed to this work. Obviously, we are, uh, we are passionate about church planting, and we want to continue to uh, see this heart fostered and facilitated among those um, in this room and those who aren't here with us yet, that they too would be passionate about church planting. So uh, continue to pray for or begin praying for uh, that meeting that will be happening in Dallas at Westridge Church uh, tomorrow. Hey, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Open up to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Uh, Josh has already read that for us. This morning this is where we're going to um, to spend. Uh, we're going to spend much of our time this morning as we continue this this verse by verse walk through. Um, let me do this before we uh, before we before we begin. I do want to say um, welcome to uh, to Matt Schreiner and Kayla Schreiner and to Asa and Boone um, who are here for the first time this morning. Um, and uh, man, I don't I'd like I'm not drawing a ton of attention because they would not want a ton of attention drawn. But we love Matt. And Kayla, and we love these boys, and we are grateful that you guys are here um, with us this morning. We missed you, and so, uh, man, welcome, welcome back. Um, Ephesians chapter four—that is where we are, beginning in verse seventeen. Let's kind of uh, let's get the ball rolling. Let's look back at where we have been and kind of kind of look ahead a little bit to where we are going. Paul here is on the front end of walking out the implication of the Ephesians' adoption through Jesus into God's family. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, the people of God are encouraged to walk out of the gospel. Notice we didn't say walk out on the gospel, but to walk out of the gospel. In humility and in, in gentleness, patience and love. The people of God are encouraged to bear with one another, eager to maintain unity of spirit in peace. We talked last week about this realization in which we are uh, so passionate about, the realization that God creates this community. And he creates this type of community around his son, Jesus, for our good and for his glory, a community that the people of God are to preserve as we live in reliance on the spirit to shape our rhythms. Let's think back to what we saw and said last week. Preservation that we're talking about here is assisted through the provision of spirit-empowered people. Paul makes this clear as he, as he begins rolling this ball in Ephesians chapter 4. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are all given to the church, this new community that God is building around Christ. To what? Well, to equip the saints. To equip you and to equip me for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain 
to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So that, Paul says in verse 14, maturity and and growth and conformity into the image of Jesus so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The response to the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4 is to walk in unity. Or two, as the people of God walk in eager to preserve unity towards conformity and maturity in Christ. This is where we're going. We talked last week about how the first half of this book is really centered around this is what God has done for you. Right? This is what God has, has done. This is what God has accomplished through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for you. As we turn the page in chapter 4, we begin to move towards, okay, now this is how you live as a result of that. How we live is always preceded by what God has done. Do we understand the order there and how, how critically important that is? We have to understand first who God is and what he has done so that we might then walk out as we will continue to unpack this morning, our created purpose. It has to begin with God. It has to begin with who he is. It has to begin with what he has done so that we might then go, okay, now let's walk this out. Too often we seek to put the cart before the horse, don't we? How do I live my life? Okay, these are all the things that God says to do. I'm going to do that without ever bringing this back and connecting it with the gospel, without ever bringing back and connecting it to our reliance on the spirit. God does it. God is doing it. It begins with this, with this transformation of heart that leads one to, verses 1 through 16, walk in unity. As we look towards the second half where we find ourselves this morning, it could be best to summarize this way, right? First part, in response to what God has done, walk in unity. Second part, in response to what God has done, walk in holiness. And so we're, we're shifting slightly. Last week, let's walk together unified, eager to maintain unity in spirit, understanding and knowing that this speaks to the world and to one another of who God is and what he has done. Our being unified with one another around Christ is an apologetic to the world. Right? It speaks of, and we've said this before, this is nothing new, but it speaks of the reality of God's existence, right? God who dwells in perfect unity within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. We are Trinitarian, amen? And as a result, we desire to live in unity with one another. We are eager to maintain unity in spirit, love for one another. Well, because it says to the world, this is who God is, Right? If there's disunity within the body of Christ, what does that say to the world? It says, man, there is disunity like in God. There's just constant conflict between, between these heads. But that's not the case. That's not who God is. And so, so Paul places a ton of emphasis on that. This is, this is what God has done for you. You are in him. Therefore, walk in unity. Part two Walk in holiness. This is what we're going to be unpacking this morning. Okay, and so look with me at verse 17. This is where we're going to start. We're going to start with where really where Paul starts, right? The presentation of the old. Paul is going to begin by talking about what this old man looks like. And so as we as we read this, as the people of God, we ought to be reminded of who we once were. If you're here this morning and you are a skeptic and you're at all unfamiliar with your position from the biblical perspective, you're about to be introduced to yourself, right? Allow self to introduce to self, right? This is who you, this is who you are. Paul here presents the old person before then explaining his manner of life and the nature that is the base for the lifestyle that accompanies it. This is who you are. And because this is who you are, it makes a ton of sense of just the chaos 
that you lived in. After he does this, he goes on to, to contrast those, those old self-characteristics with the new person created in Christ Jesus. And so in the beginning, we are, if we are believers, looking back and we're going, wow, this is who I was. But now we've been rescued in Christ to walk out the gospel in holiness. Again, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then, then perhaps we're going to hit a little, bit, a little bit different of a perspective this morning, right? This is, this is going to be, wow, these are things that I'm super familiar with. And I kind of thought that I was bound to this. I was bound in this. But it turns out because Christ breaks all those bonds and the gospel transcends all of the bad news that we are walking out in this world, I don't have to stay there, right? This is kind of where we, we are this morning. And so let's jump into verse 17 and 18 where we see Paul's presentation of the old man, an exposition of our original nature. Paul's going to help us here to, to understand who we were. And what we're going to find, interestingly enough, is that this shapes the way that we understand who others are. This is who you were, right? This is how you, how you lived. You're able to see this. Or this is who you are currently, and you're able to recognize that. In addition, it makes sense of, of, of kind of the way that we see people outside of this room as well. Look with me at verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. That is their, their reasoning, right? Process being darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have, have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, I want us to look back for just a moment because all the way back in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, call, Paul calls the believers in Jesus to walk worthy. He encourages them to, to walk worthy. Verse 17, no longer as Gentiles... Or as a point of clarification, in a way that would run contradictory to their call in Christ. Okay, so, so in other words, in writing to the Ephesians, who large in part lived in conflict with the call of God as Gentiles. We're not talking specifically about, it, about an ethnic group here, but we're talking specifically about those who lived in conflict with God as those who were outside of his people. That's what Paul's referring to here. He makes it clear that now as Christians desiring to live in conformity with God's desire for their lives... Out of the gospel and in the strength the Spirit provides, there is now a necessary change. There's a necessary change for your life, is what Paul is saying here in these first few verses. I want you to imagine for a moment that prior to becoming a Christian, you were, and perhaps this is true, a, a recreational drug user. Or maybe a, an adulterer, or maybe a racist. I would say to you, similarly as to Paul here, here's the deal. Okay, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> okay? Like we're, we're laying down like the rock, okay? Like we are, we are, are, are leaving aside these these former opinions or perspectives of, of people, you are loving your wife or your husband, committing yourself to them, understanding that your love for them and your commitment to them, your covenant commitment speaks again of, of God's covenant commitment to his church. Because you're following Jesus, and, and that isn't how followers of Jesus live, you need to stop living like this. This is what this instruction would look like. Now, if this wasn't a, a pattern in your life prior to becoming a Christian, then it wouldn't make a ton of sense for me to say to you, hey, you can't be a racist anymore. You may say something like, well, I don't know that I, I struggled with racism prior if, however, discrimination against others based on their, their ethnicity had been common, 
then we would have a great example of the context providing clarity to the call. Because you were those living against God's created order and purpose and desire and design for your life, then don't walk like the Gentiles anymore. Paul's talking to a Gentile group. He's talking to a group who, who as a people, did not desire conformity into God, of God's design for their lives. Paul asserts, right? Because you are now in Christ, you can no longer live a lifestyle that is set against the Lord. You used to live out of step with God's design. That being, let's get really practical for a moment, a, a comprehension of him. Right, a comprehension and understanding of his word and its implication and right decisions in the everyday that are necessary for a life that glorifies God having been alienated with created purpose. Your minds, verse 18, have been darkened as you lived alienated from the life of God due to your ignorance, which is interestingly enough, a byproduct of your hearts having been hardened by sin, right? It all flows from the heart. Paul traces it down to the root. However, your minds have been renewed in Christ, which makes sense of the call. Don't walk as the Gentiles. Why? Well, because you are a people with a renewed mind. Right, your, your former futility, verse 17, has been taken captive by our resurrected king. So that comprehension of God's word is made possible and the everyday is brought back into alignment with God's desire for human life. Your minds, as a redeemed people, Paul says here to the Ephesians, your minds are now filled with light. Your hearts used to be hard by sin, but now they are are made soft. All of this making it possible for you to to see God. Making it possible for you to, to see yourself and people and creation and purpose all in a new way. Simply put, because you are in Christ... Here it is. Let's just boil it down as simply as we can. Okay, because you are in Christ, don't live like you're not. You have been made alive if you are truly alive. So don't move about like dead people who don't know who God is. You've been rescued in Christ and equipped through his spirit, to live out created purpose. What is that? What are we created for? What are we intended to to walk out as we don't live as Gentiles and we live as a new being people, walking lockstep with created purpose? How are we to live? What is our purpose? Well, it's worship of God and, and joyful obedience. Enjoyment of him. This is your created purpose. And so so here's the deal, Paul says. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, but but walk as as a new people that you have been created as. Walk out your new identity. It's kind of the other end of this of this spectrum. Your minds. Your minds have been illuminated. They were dark. But we see gospel implication here, right? Because of your confession of Jesus, your darkened minds have been illuminated, right? It's kind of like those old, those old cartoons, right? Where you've got like the cartoon character and maybe they're in the doctor's office and they wheel over the x-ray machine, right? And it just shows all their insides. And there's like a, in the head, there's a light bulb, but there's like nothing on, right? You just see the chain dangling and there's no light, right? And then maybe they twist his ear or something like that. And the light bulb comes on, right? Like, oh, it's been illuminated. The mind is, is alive again. The light has come on. Your hearts have been made new. And so, and so take note, 
right? The call not to walk as the Gentiles do, as you once did, is not a call to avoid non-Christians or to reject everything that unbelievers enjoy. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Christians are to actively seek interaction with non-believers, which is interestingly enough, a a familiar pattern that God develops in redemptive history as his people live in culture, seeking the good of those around them without being transformed by it. We don't read this, don't walk as the Gentiles walk and go, okay, well, that means we don't walk with the Gentiles. No, it means we, we engage culture. Last night, Judah, I think I've told you guys this before. Judah's our little boy. He's almost four. And every night before we go to bed, we lay in bed and we pull up our, our Bible Project videos. You guys, anybody watch the Bible Project videos? Raise your hand. Man, we love the Bible Project videos. And so we were watching one last night and it's talking about um, like the people of God's relationship with the Babylonians living in exile and like what Jeremiah has to say about this and how, how the people of God are not to just like, like, like maintain safe distance, but they are to like plant gardens and like integrate themselves into the community. Why? Well, because there's this desire, right? That we understand from a new, pe- new Testament perspective of the people of God to, to infiltrate the culture. There's this recognition that our world is a, is very broken and that we have access right to to the news that is able to to create newness and redemption and reconciliation and renewal and so we plant our lives we communicate these things we don't read this instruction from paul and go all right man looks like we're 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 building a spot up on a hill and we're just removing ourselves from everyone else right that's not what it looks like We seek interaction. This is the pattern that God develops. Not only that, but we can and and should as followers of Jesus see and enjoy the good things given to us by God within the parameters that he provides in order to maximize joy while limiting potential harmful after effects. Sex. Food. (laughs) Work, worship, these are are pieces that fill out the human experience. Given for, for our pleasure as they are practiced according to his design and desire and intent, Paul here is calling for the Ephesians to fulfill God's desire for the original vocation of humanity while avoiding the sin of the unbelieving nations. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, but, but walk out of this new created identity that you enjoy in Jesus. You are a new person. Sports fans in the room, raise your hand. Hockey fans in the room, raise your hand. Amen. The redeemed. Interesting story out of, out of, uh, out of hockey last night. If you're a hockey fan, perhaps... Although I doubt it, you have heard the name David Ayers before. Anybody hear this story last night that came out of the NHL? Even if you're not a hockey fan, perhaps you you saw it on Twitter. Simon says he did, right? Let me tell you a little bit about David Ayers for a minute. Incredible story. In the middle of a NHL playoff race against the Toronto Maple Leafs on the road, the Carolina Panthers last night lost both of their starting goaltenders to injury, leading them to call into service an emergency netminder. That's what you call it in hockey, in case you guys didn't know. Who, interestingly enough, began last night's game as a Zamboni driver. (laughs) I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? The Carolina Panthers looked down at the end of the bench, and they 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 got nobody with goalie pads on, but we got two injured players. What do we do? Well, they call upon David Ayers. The Zamboni driver, who at 42 years old, stopped last night 10 shots on the way to a 6-3 win before being named the player of the game. At some point in last night's game, a conversation took place. Hey, go tell David to take off his sketchers. <laughs> and put on his skates, okay? Like, we need a, we need a goaltender, David left his driving gloves, right, 
on the hood of the Zamboni and put on a put on a goalie mitt. You say, what in the world does this have to do with a call not to not to walk as the Gentiles do? It wouldn't have made any sense for David Ayers, having been called into service of the Carolina Panthers last night. We need you, David. To walk out and to, and to take his place between the pipes as though he were still the Zamboni driver. You're not driving a Zamboni tonight, David. But you're playing goalie <laughs> in a very important NHL game. We are a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul's emphasizing to the Ephesians here. You are a a new creation. You're not driving the Zamboni anymore, right? Just like bring it down here on on all of our levels. But you're a goalie now, (laughs) right? This is the way that we understand our position, kind of, right? We're not this old person anymore, but we are, we are new. And this new identity is an identity that we are called to live out of. Who we are now determines the way that we live our lives and the actions that we take. I guess we're, we're all kind of like David Ayers to like some extent, right? In verses 17 through 19, Paul exposits the natural man. So you used to be. Don't walk like that anymore. In verses 20 through 32, he speaks explicitly towards the new condition that the Christian enjoys in Jesus. So we've been talking implicit up until this point, right? Not to walk as the Gentiles walk then requires that we walk out of this new identity. We've been implicit. Paul is about to make it very explicit beginning in verse 20. He talks about the new position in verses 20 through 24. Look there with me beginning in verse 20. Paul says this, he says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him or in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's the deal. At one time you opposed Christ. And then at some point you, you heard about him who he was and and what he said and the amazing things that he did, culminating with his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father and the promise that he makes to his people to return again. And at that point, you began to follow him. Right, a, a, a knowledge perhaps of Jesus was at that point replaced with a relationship. It's at this point that you truly began to, verse 20, learn Christ. To learn Christ through the preaching of the gospel by Paul and others in Ephesus. You've not only heard about Jesus, but you have been taught in him. Verse 21, these are, these are real people that Paul is writing to here in Ephesus. Real people living out real gospel transformation rooted in Christ, benefiting in a real way from the preaching of the word. A major point of emphasis for the church gathered in settings like this. Paul's short statement here is absolutely pregnant with implication. as distinction of our faith takes center stage. For the Christian, this learning Christ that takes place results in deeper intimacy with Christ. Paul talks about learning Christ here. We're talking about growing in intimacy. We're talking about growing in relationship. We're not just talking about absorption of information. You learned Christ you are growing in, in fellowship and intimacy with Christ. That's the desire of like our gathering here this morning is that Jesus would be lifted up, that each and every one of us would be brought to a position of, of humility and adoration for him. Hang with me. 
that we would that we would know Christ, that we would know him better. We would enjoy him more, that we would that we would, he would we would celebrate him appropriately. For the Christian, right here, right now, encouraged by God's work in the world to save through the shed blood of Jesus, displaying his commitment to his plan to collect for himself a people through the preservation of his word that elevates his son. Truth that we are taught in Jesus Results with, get this, deeper relationship with Jesus. That's our desire, right? Like our desire as the people of God is, is deeper relationship with the Jesus. Last night, uh, Piper and I, our little girl, um, for those of you who don't know, um, we, went, we went on a little date. It's no big deal. It's kind of whatever. And um, we went to Chick-fil-A and because uh, Chick-fil-A did this amazing thing. Chick-fil-A killing the game, by the way. Like, what, what in the world? Like, I aspire towards Simon Chick-fil-A. You guys are doing an amazing job. Pass it along to David for me. Tell David you guys are killing it. So anyway, um, they're doing this date night thing between dads and daughters. And it's interesting because Piper and I went last night. And at this point, like, she doesn't say very much, right? And so um, it was really awkward, kind of, because, like, you feel like you're supposed to go and be, like, super engaged, right? Um, Like, if I were to just go to Chick-fil-A normally, insight into normal Chick-fil-A life, okay? If I were to go to Chick-fil-A normally and it were Piper and I, like she would sit next to me and I would clear out like anything within arm's reach for her, um, which is going to make my life a lot easier. And then I'm going to like tear up her food and I'm going to give it to her and I'm going to be like scrolling through Twitter or like Instagram or whatever, like liking, commenting, doing all the things because like she just doesn't talk like right now. Okay. And so like, otherwise just kind of like, I can only, we can only do so much. Right. But last night for whatever, because the table was set and there were flowers, like there was this pressure. Right. (laughs) I was like, I can't go and like, just sit here on my phone. Like somebody is going to be sitting across the room, judging me super hardcore about this. Right. And so like, so like I'm sitting there and I'm like, not on my phone and I'm just like watching her eat. Like, it was adorable and like, like it was adorable. Let's just leave it there. Or everybody in here is going to judge me if I say what I want to really say, right? Um, it was adorable. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. But interestingly enough, there was a there was a card that was on every table, and it was like it was questions that dad could dads could ask their daughters, right? Like I don't know. Like I didn't read them because like she wasn't going to respond. Right? And so, so I didn't, I didn't read the, it was something like, you know, who's your favorite Disney princess or like something like that was like kind of the, you know, what's your favorite animal? I don't know. Like those types of questions, you guys get the picture, right? And so, so I'm thinking about even last night as we're coming in here this morning and learning Christ and desiring deeper intimacy, we understand what those cards are designed to do, right? Like, like create a bond, like, or strengthen a bond, like get dads and daughters talking to one another, right? Like that's what the card was for. Because the marketing people at Chick-fil-A are geniuses and they understand that like, like dad may come in. He may have no idea what to do. The issue isn't that his daughter can't talk. It's that he can't talk, right? And so, so they put these cards there that provide some direction on growing in intimacy. Man, as we come together in settings like this, everything that we do is designed to grow us in intimacy with Christ, We don't need a card simply of questions to ask, although there are some great questions that we can ask as we engage God in his word that are going to lead us into deeper intimacy with him. But everything that we do, the gathering together of the people of God is designed to draw us into deeper fellowship and intimacy with one another, yes, but ultimately deeper intimacy and fellowship with God. That's what we're desiring. That's what we're, we're doing here, right? We're growing in relationship. We're not simply growing in a knowledge, right? Or, or a comprehension of facts. But the way that these facts take us by like the shirt collar and drag us into deeper intimacy, right? Are we getting this picture? Are we understanding this here? 
Our old selves have been, have been shed. They are being shed like a snake sheds its skin. Our old selves have been shed and they are, they are being shed. The old is being peeled away. The old has been peeled away like layers of an onion. We put off the old and, and, and we put on the new, renewed in spirit and renewed in mind. Verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. This is how you walk out a holy life. We understand that in Christ, we are made righteous, right? That your old self, Seth, has been peeled off. But it's also in process of being peeled off, right? And in the same way you sit down in the summertime, right? And you take this like sweet Vidalia onion, amen, praise God, right? And you just begin to like peel off the layers. Like this is what our lives are looking like. Like we are learning Christ. We are growing in intimacy with him. And as we do this old that has been in eternity future peeled off is now in process of being peeled off. Do we get this? Growing in intimacy with Christ, the setting off of the old, the the putting on of the new. This is what it looks like to walk out a holy life. This is what it looks like. Paul's encouragement here, man. This is what God has done for you, part one. Therefore, walk in unity. This is what God has done for you. Therefore, walk in holiness. Peeled off the old. Put on the new. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you, right, walking in holiness, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26, we've got this series of like, this is what this looks like. This is how you live. This is how you respond. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Right, no longer breaking down, right? It's the walk of the Gentile. No, you are now walking in Christ. Therefore, you are building one another up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, peeled off and set aside along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another. I mean, be kind to one another. This is one of the first Bible verses we taught our little boy. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want us to take just a moment. We're going to do this quick. And I want us to walk through each one of these statements. Because if verses 20 through 24 address the new position of the Christian, then verses 25 through 32 divide his practice, right? This is what the new man looks like, and this is how the new man lives. This is his practice. Number one, don't use falsehood, but instead speak truth. That's what Paul says in verse 25. For this reason, having put away, having laid aside falsehood, man, let each speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. I mean, in the, in the same way that the old person was tied to a certain lifestyle, which is what we talk about through these, these first few verses, the Christian is now bound together with a new in Christ. The scriptures paint this picture for us of the, of the old again being taken off and the new being put on. What Paul is saying here is that there is a connection between your new creation identity and new, the new creation act of speaking truth. There's a connection between your new creation identity and this new creation act of speaking truth. There was a time in which you adorned falsehood. There was a time in which you put on falsehood. There was a time in which you wore falsehood but you don't wear that anymore. Why? Well, because this doesn't represent Christ and therefore it cannot represent his people. Is this a struggle for you? Probably so. 
Man, God's word speaks powerfully towards the desires of the, of the new heart that we are saying, no heart, like we are new. We're putting off falsehood. We're not speaking outside of truth. No matter how difficult that might be, we are leaning in and we are seeking to, to represent Christ and the transforming power of the gospel. It continues on, verse 26. He says, use anger, but don't sin. Paul quotes here from Psalm 4-4, where the psalmist advises his enemies to keep their rage within themselves. In verses 26 and 27, it is made quite obvious that anger can become an irritation that provides the enemy with a foothold in the life of the believer. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Well, because this, this irritation is going to provide a foothold and it is going to result in sin in your life. So super helpful to understand in light of what Paul says here, that anger is not innately sinful. In fact, he says be angry, doesn't he? So what does that look like? How does the believer lean into this and and practice this? God expresses anger. So consequently, it would make total sense that as his people observing wrongdoing or injustice in the world, that we too would be angry about that. As we see brokenness and, and remnant and residual of old man in us, we ought to be angry about that. As we observe injustice in the world, things functioning out of God's design in the beginning, absent of sin, we ought to be angry about that. We observe issues around us, right? And we ought to be, to be angry about these issues. Issues that anger God ought to anger God's people. Be angry, but don't allow your anger to control you. Be angry, but man, pray, <laughs> right? Like be angry, but, but, but pray. Embrace confrontation at times when it is necessary. Don't, don't be afraid to speak out against injustice. Don't be afraid to shine the light of Christ in on the darkness of sin, desiring renewal. Settle issues quickly. If you have an issue with someone, I think that 99% of the time, I don't think that I'm overshooting here, 99% of the time, it would be wise to settle that issue and as a result, remove opportunity for Satan to sow seeds of discord. And the 1% of the time that we don't, it's because we recognize that the anger that we feel is silly and we shouldn't be angry about it. And therefore, we shouldn't bring it up because it's only going to compound the issue. At which point, we personally repent <laughs> and we move forward in forgiveness. He continues on, verse 28. We've got to hit these things quick at this point. Um, don't steal, but instead give to the needy. Interestingly enough, the thief has been made new to share now the fruit of his or her labor. This is consistent with gospel transformation when the heart of, of people. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we see the people of God, the church birthed, and this desire to sell possession and belongings in order to distribute the proceeds to all as anyone had need. In Acts chapter 4, we see gifts being laid at the apostles' feet and distributed to each as any had need. In Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 28, Paul, while on one of his missionary journeys, takes a collection of financial resources from Gentile believers to take back to give to the church in Jerusalem. Used to steal, right? But now... Flashback to the garden, there is this working that takes place out of a renewed heart. Sin, sin just obliterates this, right? Like sin, sin tears this apart. Sin tears this down. The garden is given to man and given to woman to work, right? 
And then sin creates this like this crazy relationship between our conception of work and the way that we practice it. So we just begin to do things like like steal from other people. We steal from God. We take his glory and we direct it towards us. Like it's just a major mess, isn't it? Here Paul says, man, out of a out of a transformed heart, man, you give, right? There's there's generosity that's on display. The glory that we had had stolen for ourselves, we now direct towards God. Like everything is about him. It's all for him. All we want to do is tell people around us like how amazing he is, how incredible he is, how generous he is, how loving he is. We're pointing towards him. That's what we're doing. We're pointing towards God. We're not pointing at ourselves anymore. The gospel transforms this, right? We don't, we don't steal from other people, but instead we try to meet need. It's a heart of generosity that ultimately speaks of and displays God's heart. God is more generous than we are, right? God is more generous than we are. And our hearts, hearts of generosity are meant to direct others towards a deeper understanding of the generosity of God. There's just this total transformation that's being, they're being drawn out here. Don't use corrupt words, but instead seek to, to edify with your ver- words, verses 29 and 30, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Man, we guard our tongues as the people of God. We speak truth. Why? Well, because God speaks truth. He exposes sin and he calls us into something better. He says, this isn't good for you, right? This isn't, this isn't best for you. I know what's good for you. I know what's best for you. And this is going to rub you. There's going to be some tension here initially. But I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm cool with that. Therefore, we, we build one another up. That doesn't mean that we don't at times engage in difficult conversation, but there's a desire. Go back to the first, what, 16 verses of Ephesians chapter four, maturity and conformity into the image of Jesus. So we lean in and we embrace this. We, we speak uh, kindly to one another. Edifying words. Right? We're not malicious, verse 31 and 32, but we are edifying in our action. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. These things have been peeled off. But they were a part of you that you did adorn them, but you don't anymore. Therefore, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here it is. Just this like Paul, man, he just plants this like this egg. Like he just hides this egg, this nugget at the very end that makes total sense of everything that he is talking about. It all comes from, it all sprouts from this seed that is, that is God's forgiveness of us. Right? It's his kindness towards us in Christ. Right? That's, what he, that's what he says here at the very end. Look with me here at verse 32. Be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, What? forgave you. How do we walk out holiness, right? That's a question that maybe we're asking. Like, I'm not even sure that I can adequately or accurately distinguish between what is unholy and holy. Like, I need a ton of help. Somebody come alongside me and help me understand what this looks like. Paul certainly gets the the ball rolling here in Ephesians chapter four, doesn't he? Clear distinction between holiness and like things that are not holy. Stealing, not holy, right? Like practicing generosity and kindness. This is the way we walk out holiness. But what does it all trace back to? It has to trace back to something because if it's, if it's rooted or founded in the action in and of itself, then like what motivation is there in that for that? It's all been preceded Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3 with what God has done for us, an exposition of what God has done for us. Here, Paul reminds us of that. He reminds the Ephesians of that, doesn't he? Love just as God in Christ loved you. Forgive just as God in Christ forgave you. It all comes back to Jesus, right? Like Jesus is the the, the primary motivating factor of our lives, holiness. In humility, we, we express we can't do this on our own. We cannot and we have not done this on our own. We require transformation of heart. We require the strength of the spirit. If you're here this morning and you're feeling overwhelmed by this call, dude, rest assured, you are not alone and you are not wrong. In and of yourself, you are inadequate. In and of yourself, practicing this type of, of, of radical generosity that directs 
like other people towards Christ is an impossibility, right? Expressing and practicing and displaying and extending this type of love that Paul is talking about here is in and of yourself with any type of consistency an impossibility. But in Christ, there's a new heart. There's a new man. There's a distinction between the old and the new. The old layers are being peeled off and the new is being put on. Dylan couldn't do this. Dylan hadn't done this. But now in Christ, there is opportunity. As the people of God, we lean in and we desire to, to walk out holiness. In humility, we position ourselves before the Lord, right? Like we position ourselves before the Lord and we, we hold our hands out and we hold our hands up and we say, we can't do this on our own. Can't be generous like this, right? We can't, we can't, can't work hard like this. We can't practice intentionality like this. Oh, but in Christ, I mean, in Christ, our minds are illuminated. Our hearts are transformed. Walk in holiness. It's the call of Paul here in Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 through 32. All made possible because, because God has seen you and he's seen me He's loved us and he's forgiven us in Christ. He's forgiven us in Christ. And therefore we lean in, right? And we desire this life. God, exalt yourself, make much of yourself in every element and aspect of my life. Help me to know Jesus. Help me to to worship Jesus. Help me to enjoy Jesus. Help me to orient my life and my existence and my purpose around Jesus. Understanding that as we do so, we are walking out your design and desire for our lives, which is going to maximize joy and purpose and passion. This is where we want to be. Okay, this is where we want to be. And so let's corporately and individually make this confession as we go to the Lord, preparing to come to these tables to remember his broken body and his spilt blood, which makes all of this possible apart from the substitution of Jesus. This is all an an exercise in futility. We couldn't do it. We wouldn't want it. But because of what Christ has done, because he has displayed kindness and generosity and love by taking upon himself our sins so that we might know this type of relationship, that we might learn Christ. Our desires are being transformed. Let's ask the Lord to transform our desires, to give us a desire to walk out holiness as we walk out the gospel, all, all to his glory. Amen. Man, let's pray together. Father.